Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Greetings, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you again as we gather around God's Word and continue our series on the book of Ephesians titled In Him. And the title of today's message is from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. The title is Unity of the Saints. Let's read in Ephesians 4. I'm reading out of the ESV. Verse 1. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And at the reading of God's word, would you pray with me? Father, we look to you, our eyes are on you. We pray as the psalmist did, that you'd open our eyes, that we'd see wonderful things in your word. Help us to understand what it means to be walking in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Unity, Uh, very important message uh, because if we don't have unity, we don't have the church. And so let's, let's talk about this from the text, and I think we're going to see three things today as we sort of take this path through this text. Three things I want to highlight. Number one, the source of unity. Number two, the nature of unity. And number three, the fruit of unity. Okay, that's what we're going to do. What's, what's the source? Where, where, do we, where do we get the power uh, and the motivation and the vision for uh, biblical unity? The nature of it, what, you know, what does it look like? What are the marks of it among us? And then the fruit, what, what's the effect of it uh, in, in the church and to our community? So let's, let's go to, back to number one, the source. What, according to this text, is the source of unity? Well, if we look back at verse one, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he says, with all humility and gentleness, and he calls them to unity as they consider the calling. So what is the calling? You know, we see this word, and sometimes I think we, we think in the modern church, oh, calling, I'm called to do something for God. So maybe the calling of being a missionary, or I'm called to be a pastor, or I'm called to be, you know, a prayer intercessor, or, or I'm called to serve the church in a certain way or do great things for God. But most of the time that Paul used the word calling, he was actually referring to someone's salvation, that we are called by the Spirit, the inward call of the Spirit to call us to Christ. And we can see this back in Ephesians 1.18. He says this, and and he says, I'm praying this for you, that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So what's he praying for? He's praying that our eyes would be open to the hope to which he's called us. Now, what hope is that? That's the hope of our salvation. It's the call into sonship through union with Christ. So this calling is the gospel. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4 is that this calling, our salvation, 
The gospel of grace, the good news, is the source of unity. Let's look at the text again. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So he's appealing to that hope. He's appealing to the salvation that we've received. And look at the words he uses. He says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, this is an important distinction to make. He is not telling us to make ourselves worthy. We are worthy in Christ already. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have seen some of the you know, recent Marvel movies. I've got you know, my, my kids, especially uh, my, my boys, are really into the Marvel movies. Um, and there's this character named Thor, and he's got this hammer. And he's the only one who could pick up the hammer because he's worthy. And I remember when my son Jack, a few years back, saw this movie. I remember after the movie, he was sort of reflecting on what he saw. And he said, boy, I wish I was worthy. You know, and I'm like, you are worthy. I said, Jack, don't you realize your life is hidden with Christ in God? Jack, you could do good works for a thousand years and you wouldn't be any more loved and accepted by God than you are right now. You're in Christ. Don't you get it? Okay, dad. Okay. We are worthy. We are in Christ already. So that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is telling us in this verse is that our salvation is valuable. And he's saying, let's show the world the supreme worth of our salvation by living lives that show it off. And Paul calls this life that we live to show the beauty of the salvation we have received. He calls it adornment. Living godly lives for Christ, including having, having unity in the church, is a way of adorning the salvation that we've received. And we see that in another one of Paul's letters in the book of Titus, chapter two and verse 10. Look at this verse. He says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior. So it's kind of like a Christmas tree. We have this beautiful tree, right? And what do we do with these beautiful trees we get, you know, every Christmas season? We adorn them with lights and ornaments and, you know, tinsel and little things that glitter. The ornaments and the lights don't make it a tree. It's, it already is a tree. They just simply beautify the tree. They show off the tree. You know, you don't hang your dirty laundry. You don't hang dirty socks and underwear on the tree. You hang beauty because the tree is beautiful and you're, you're displaying its beauty with this adornment. And Paul says, that's what unity is. It's, let's consider the gospel, consider this hope that we've received, and let's walk in a manner worthy of it. Let's show its value by adorning our lives, adorning our church and our, our church community with, with love and good works in a way that show the beauty of the salvation that we've received. So what am I saying? The source of beauty in the Christian life is the gospel. It's like the headwaters of a river. You know what that is? That's the source of a river. That's, that's where the water flows out from. The, and the place that the water of life flows out from in our faith is the gospel. As we remember it, as we believe it, as we receive it, as we apply it, the effect of that is unity. And this is often how Paul encourages believers, and by the way, it's how Jesus did it too. Just look at a couple of verses just to show you that this is Paul's pattern. 
Ephesians 4, 32, later in this very chapter, he says, be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ, God forgave you. So do you see what he's doing again? He's not just saying, hey, do good things, do good works, you know, have unity, forgive each other. I'm giving you some commandments. He always says, forgive ah, as Christ forgave us. Remember the gospel, right? Let's love one another. Let's show gentleness and humility toward one another and, and, and unity together as we remember the hope to which we have been called. It's what Jesus did in John 15, 12. Listen to what he said, very similar. This is my commandment, that you love one another huh? as I have loved you. He pointed to himself, his own love, his own sacrifice. Paul did it again in Romans 15, verses two and three. Each of us should please his neighbor for the good purpose of building him up. There's a unity verse. Should please his neighbor for the purpose of building him up what, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to go to Jesus again. He's going to go to the headwaters. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who are insulting you fell on me. Remembering how God brought us to salvation in Christ is the source of our unity. Now, how exactly does it work? When we remember that God accepted us by grace alone, we can accept others by grace alone. God saw unity with us when we were undeserving, so also we ought to seek unity with others, though they are undeserving, though they are imperfect, though they are broken. And this is how and why gospel preaching creates gospel culture. We see Christ Jesus, we believe and receive Christ Jesus, and then the same love with which we've been loved begins to work itself out among us. And it's impossible to be unloving when we stand near the cross of Christ. Not having this gospel culture is harmful. Matter of fact, not having gospel culture is what has de-churched many people in America. They should have seen unity and love. They didn't. They saw brokenness. They saw uh, division. They saw unlove. They didn't see unity. And it's the testimony of a lot of people who were hurt by the church that we see on social media all the time and hear from on social media all the time, but I don't want to minimize their pain because in a lot of ways, some, some de-churched people did not see what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4 and it had the opposite effect on them. So what's the source of unity? It's the gospel. It's the hope of our salvation. Now, let's talk about the nature of it. What are the marks of it? What does it look like? Well, Paul gets into this here in verse two, which we've already mentioned, but let's read from verse two to verse three. Here's the marks, the nature of humility, of, of unity. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I love that, eager. How many of us are eager to maintain unity? You know, when there's brokenness and division, when there's conflict, I think sometimes we struggle being eager to mend, right? We want to be right. We, 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 want them to, we want them to, you know, to get what's coming to them. We want them to see, uh, see the light, you know? Paul says, let's be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we should be eager for. So here's the nature and culture of unity, humility, gentleness, patience. I remember telling the early members of Grace Life Church, the church we planted in Western New York back in 2010, we had some informational meetings. And I, I 
told them as I was sharing the vision for our church that the first point of our church vision was to be a church without drama or conflict. Now, of course, I was jesting, and that's not possible. The pre- here's the thing. The presence of conflict in a church, in a family, in a marriage, in a business, on a, an athletic team, the presence of conflict does not mean that that organization or business or church or family is unhealthy. On the contrary, can you have real relationships without conflict? What makes a church healthy or unhealthy is not the presence or absence of conflict. It's how the people in that church resolve conflict. Here's how Christians resolve conflict. I want to talk about two things. Number one, what should be our goal in a conflict? And number two, what should be our spirit in a conflict? Briefly, what should be our goal? We have to ask ourselves when, when we're in a conflict with someone else, a relational conflict, whether it's in your family, you know, your marriage, church, work, whatever. What are you aiming for in this conflict? What does Paul say we should be eager for? We should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Is that what you are aiming for? Is that what you're eager for? Reconciliation and unity or something else. I think sometimes we're eager for, for something else. I've found that if someone enters a conflict and simply wants to win an argument, be right, or get a pound of flesh, in other words, if somebody just wants justice because they wronged me, there will be no unity. We all have to aim for the same thing. When we enter a conflict, we have to aim for what the scriptures are, are telling us here. We have to aim for the unity of the spirit, aim for love, aim for reconciliation. But if we go in, right, and, and now it's a courtroom. I, I, I want justice. I want them to be sentenced or punished. I want them to see that they're wrong. Um, I, I rarely see those things turn out well. So again, the presence of conflict doesn't mean the church is healthy or unhealthy. The presence of conflict is an opportunity for us to put the gospel in motion and walk out gospel culture by pursuing unity and reconciliation. Now, second, what, what is the spirit? What, what spirit ought a Christian to have in a conflict? Well, this, the text here tells us, it says humility, gentleness, and patience. And I just want to take a moment and consider this idea of gentleness, okay? What we're trying to do if there's tension or stress or pressure uh, or conflict is, is we're trying to restore a relationship, right? We're trying to, to restore unity. You know, again, wherever the conflict is in your life, it could be in your family, it could be in your, in your work environment. Um, you're trying to restore unity. Now, I want you to think about that idea of restoration, all right, if you're restoring an old house, right, and you, and you go in there and, and you want to just restore it and sort of beautify what's already there, if you're going to restore the molding on the house, you don't just like, you're not careless with it. You don't just go in there with a hammer and just start ripping it out and, cr- you know, cracking it and breaking it up. No, you've, you go in there very carefully. You, you, you take a, you know, a finished hammer and you, you start pulling out the little nails there and you start working it off the wall and you very gently take that old mold, molding and you put it in a place where you can work on it. Why? Because you want that thing to go back up. That's going to go back on the wall. You're not just ripping it out. You contrast that with when we were uh, at Grace Life Church in, in uh, Rochester back in 2015. We were building out uh, two storefronts uh, for, for our own church site there. 
And one of the storefronts had been a video store. And in the back, they had this like little private room and it had been the porn room. And so when we went in there, we're like, we taken out the porn room. And I remember we had two guys with sledgehammers just go over there, just smash it, just smashing out that little private room, right? To make more room in the, in the sanctuary area, uh, the kitchen area where we were gonna build. We weren't trying to restore that room. <laughs> we just wanted to smash it out of there. Do you see the difference between, you know, restoration and justice, right? Justice is fine, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And so as Christians, we want to have an attitude of gentleness and restoration toward one another, toward our wives, men, toward our what? Gentleness and restoration. Toward our children, gentleness and restoration, right? We don't freak out, right? We, we don't bring the hammer down. We bring love and gentleness. This rule is not just for the church. This rules for our marriages. This rules for our families. This rules for, for our businesses. Now, some have said that Christians in America have lost credibility as people who know how to love. And even though I think that is exaggerated because uh, I've been to a, a lot of churches and I, I know a lot of great Christians and a lot of great churches and, and there's a lot of love in, in God's family. Even though I don't deny that there's also a lot of hurt. But to the degree that that statement is true, we need to remember that the mark of our lives as Christians ought to be love. Matter of fact, Jesus said that love is the rule of the Christian. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. So the question we need to be asking when relating to one another is, what's the best way to love this person? How, what's the most loving thing to do in this situation? That's the rule of the Christian. I'll give you a, an example. Um, we had, uh, when we still lived in New York, we had some, some friends coming over uh, from another, another family in the church. This family had some uh, convictions and preferences that we did not have, okay? They had a, a zero tolerance policy on secular music. Um, we, at the time, were enjoying listening to, my kids were just enjoying listening to the, the best of Michael Jackson, <laughs> kind of introduced to his music. Uh, and I knew that they would want to show the kids of this family that music. Um, I also knew that this family had some hangups about using certain words uh, in a petty way, like the word awesome. You know, I use the word awesome all the time. Uh, they, the, the father in that home thought the word awesome needed to be used just for God. Okay. Now, I don't think that way. Uh, I think that's a little silly, but that was his preference. That was his conviction. So I didn't want my kids to take that information and turn it into an opportunity to provoke the kids in the other family by, hey, listen to my new favorite Michael Jackson song, Thriller, or Beat It, you know, and hey, isn't it awesome? <laughs> that, that could have gone very bad. So we had an opportunity to talk to our kids about being careful with how you use your liberty uh, and, and not try to force or parade your liberty in a way that would cause your brother or sister to stumble. We want them to honor their parents. This is the home they live in and we, we need to be careful when they come over. No Michael Jackson music and try not to use the word awesome in a way that would offend those kids. You see what I did there? We didn't ask the question, well, what's the rule? Can we or can we not listen to secular music? I believe that we can enjoy things that uh, God has created, even if somebody didn't make it for the glory of God, we can sanctify it in some parts of culture and, and use that to glorify God. Uh, 
but some people have a different conscience in that area, and I need to respect that and honor that. And so the, the conversation with my kids wasn't, what's the rule? What, is it right or wrong to listen to Michael Jackson music? No, no, the, the question was, go back to what I said. The question was, what is the most loving thing to do right now? How can we best love this family when they come over? And in that situation, it was most loving to lay down our preferences while they were with us so that we could love them and not cause an offense. Richard Wormbrand, who suffered in communist prison for 14 years in Romania for his faith, founder of Voice of the Martyrs, said this, we will not be rewarded for what we have persevered through, but for how we have loved others through it. It's profound, isn't it? The mark of the, the rule of the Christian is to love others. That's, that's, the, that's the mark of Christian unity. The spirit of God within us is making us more loving. Now, you go to Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the spirit. I want to consider this verse for a moment. In Galatians 5, it says, the fruit of the spirit is, what's the first one? Love. It goes on. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is again. And self-control. This tells us something about love. For Paul to, to describe love in this way, the fruit of the spirit is love. Notice what it says and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the fruit of me or the fruit of you is love. In other words, the Bible does, doesn't just say you, you ought to be loving. And when, then we go, oh, dang, I should be loving. That, that's, a, that's a good rule. So wh where's that love switch? Just turn that love switch on and start loving people. The Bible says it's the fruit of the Spirit. So that tells us something about love. What does that mean? It's not the fruit of Derek, not the fruit of Josh, not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So that means it is a miracle. Now we're often impressed with the fantastic stories of the Red Sea parting, of Jesus turning the five loaves you know, and fish into enough to feed thousands, stories of healing and resurrection. But for Paul to say that the fruit of the Spirit is love means we should be equally impressed when someone becomes a loving person. It's a miracle. And so what is he saying? God wants to do a miracle in us. He wants to do a miracle in some of you. He wants to make you, you want to talk about something fantastic? He wants to make you a nice person, a patient person. He wants to make you somebody that deals with a conflict or an argument with gentleness and love. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of the Spirit. That's the mark of Christian unity. It's the mark, the nature of immunity. Immunity. Unity, I'm sorry. Ray Ortland in his book, The Gospel, said, the test of a gospel-centered church is its doctrine on paper plus its culture in practice. And he gave us these little equations that I think are, are helpful just to help us wrap our mind around the importance of this. He says, gospel doctrine minus gospel culture equals hypocrisy. Gospel culture minus gospel doctrine equals fragility. In other words, that's a, that's a fragile church because it doesn't have the backbone of doctrine and truth. But gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals power. Don't you see? One without the other fails to display the beauty of Christ to the world. There's beauty in gospel doctrine 
and gospel culture. There's power in that combination. And I think this quote from Francis Schaeffer tells us what it might look like when it's full grown. Listen to what he said. If the church is what it should be, young people will be there. But they won't just be there. They will be there with the blowing of horns and the clashing of high-sounding cymbals, and they'll come dancing with flowers in their hair. Oh, Lord Jesus, do that among us. Lord, do that among the churches in Clarksville, that we'd have gospel doctrine and gospel culture that will be so beautiful, that the unity of the saints will be so beautiful that they'll come in droves and say, where has this been all my life? So we've looked at the source of unity, the nature of unity. Now I just want to look at the fruit of it. And to see the fruit of unity, we have to go to something Jesus said to see it. Very famous verse, perhaps you've heard before, in John 13, 35, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see what he's saying there? He's not just saying that Jesus will be on display to the church. He's saying Jesus will be on display through the church. He says, the world will know, all people will know that you're mine if you have love one for another. Now, conversely, the world will not know that we're his if we don't love one another. Look at what John Christ's apostle said in 1 John 4, 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see what he's saying there? He says, he's saying people can't visibly see God, but if we love one another, they can see him in us. So the way that we show the world God is through the way we love one another and love them. I mentioned Richard Wormbrand a few minutes ago. He was sent to prison for his faith when communist Russia took over the Romanian nation in the mid-1900s. And there's a story in his biography, Tortured for Christ, that illustrates what I'm talking about, about how people see God in us. There's a story about how he was sitting next to an atheist in prison in his 14 years while he was there. And this man was betrayed by, he was a communist who'd been betrayed by other communists and ended up in a prison cell next to Richard Wormbrand, who was in, in prison for his faith. And Wormbrand was preaching Christ to him. He was telling him about the love of God. And the guy's saying, I don't believe in God. There is no God. I don't believe in God. And Wormbrand said, oh, I just wish I could show you God. I wish you could see him. Then I know you would follow him. I know you would, you would, you would love him because you would see his love for you. And the guy took up the challenge. And he said, all right, Wormbrand. He said, that's a good deal. He said, you show me God you show him to me, let me see him, and I'll follow him. And Richard Wormbrand had a God-sized thought. He turned to the guy and he said, God is like me. And that atheist thought for a moment, and he said, if God is like you, Richard Wormbrand, then I wanna know that God and I would follow him. Remember what John said, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. That atheist saw God in Richard Wormbrand in a prison cell in communist Romania. I hope the world can look at how we love one another and love others, and I hope they can say, 
I want to know that God. Now, let's talk about Jesus. As we finish our text, verses four through six, Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul finishes by giving us the ultimate example of unity. Here in verses four through six, Paul makes an appeal to the picture of the Trinity to give us our ultimate model of unity. Do you see it here in the text? He mentions God the Father. He says, there's one Lord, that's, that's God the Son. And then he says, there's one body and one spirit. He references the Holy Spirit. All are mentioned here in one breath. God in three persons. You see, for all of eternity, there's perfect love and perfect unity in what we call the Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all in agreement about creation. They're all in agreement about redemption. The Father decreed it. The Son obeyed the Father and went to the cross. And the Holy Spirit applies the work of the cross to our hearts. But wait, there on the cross, in Jesus' darkest moment, he speaks to the Father and he says something shocking. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's division, but it was intentional. It was the plan of God. It was chosen by the Father. Jesus was separated from the Father so that we could have unity with the Father. And I'll let the Bible speak for itself as the Bible talks about that unity that Christ gave us with God in the cross. And now I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Here's the result of the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died so we could have reconciliation, unity with God. And that's where it all begins for us to reach out to others and love others with the same love with which we've been loved. Our unity with God through Christ creates our unity with others in God's family and it creates a ministry through us to reach out to others so they could also be unified with God. I wanna finish with a story and then an application. I was at a men's retreat quite a while ago, and there was a man there named Pete Beck. I think he was from North Carolina, South Carolina. He was talking about what God was doing in his city and how the Lord worked in his life through something that happened. He said, some division had come into the, between the churches in the city and he was praying that God would, would bring peace between the churches. And he says, oh God, I pray, that, I pray that you'd bring unity in the churches in this city so that we could display Christ to this city. And as he prayed, he felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. It was like the Holy Spirit said, well, Pete, how can you have unity in the churches in this city if you don't even have unity in your own church? Oh, 
That's true, I should pray for that. Lord, I pray for unity in our church. Lord, that we'd love one another, that, that we'd be peacemakers. And, and the Holy Spirit convicted him again. Pete, how can you have unity in your church if you don't even have unity in your leadership team? Oh, well, that's true. I guess I better pray for that. He began to pray for that. And then the Holy Spirit again convicted him. He said, well, Pete, how can you have unity in your leadership team? in the church, if you don't even have unity in your family. He began to pray for his family. Pete, how can you have unity in your family if you don't have unity with your wife? He was convicted again. And finally the Lord said, Pete, how can you have unity with your wife if you don't have unity with me? And it began a spiritual awakening in his life as he saw that what was happening in his city needed to begin, the change needed to begin with him, with God, with his marriage, with his family, and in the church. And I wanna ask you a question. Do you have unity with God right now? Have you been reconciled to God? You can be. Go to Christ. Trust in him for your salvation. Let's take it right back to the beginning of this message. The hope of our calling. Are you being called? You're, you're being, through, the, through this message, through this word, there's an inward call happening in your life to call you to be reconciled to God. And he's using this text of scripture and this preacher to do it. Come to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Come to the Lord Jesus and be reconciled to God. You can do that right now by turning your attention away from yourself, away from any other method of making yourself acceptable or saving yourself and turn to the Lord Jesus and trust him to be your salvation and to be the Lord and King of your heart. How do we apply this message? Three simple ideas. Number one, I want to encourage us to remember the gospel. Remember Christ. Remember how he loved us. Remember how he forgave us and let that be the source of our love for others. Are you really, maybe you're really struggling to forgive someone. Man, I, I, how can I forgive? Remember that God forgave you. Remember the, the sins we committed against the Lord. Well, I haven't been that bad. Listen, listen. We were all born committing high treason against heaven. And in, in America, we still, that's still punishable with capital punishment here in America. How much more when we try to usurp the throne of God in our hearts and take over uh, the, the, the center of the universe by kicking him off our throne, which we do from birth. That if you never committed one sin in your life and you simply rejected the rule of God in your life, that is enough. That's high treason against heaven's court. Remember how he's loved you and he's shown patience with you and mercy toward you. Now, show patience and mercy and love toward others. But remember Christ. And then number two, how do we respond? We, we love one another. Let's love one another in word and in deed. Let's love one another with the gospel by encouraging one another in the gospel. Let's love one another with prayer by praying for one another. If you feel moved or impressed to send somebody a text of encouragement, do it. Follow that impression of your heart. That's probably the Lord. Some really practical things in this area, how we can love one another. If you are in a conflict with someone, I wanna encourage you, if you're part of this church family, not to try to resolve that over text or email, and God forbid, social media. There's so many, you know, war, war of, wars of words that happen in, in comment threads and social media. God forbid that anybody in this church family would try to resolve a conflict in any of those 
in any of those contexts. If you're having a conflict with someone, and this is my habit, if, if I'm starting to have a, a tense you know, interaction with someone, in any of those three contexts, text, email, social media, I immediately drop that. Um, I'll send them a private message, and I'll say, hey, can we talk on the phone? Can we get together? I want to look them in the eyes. I want them to see my spirit. I, wanna, I want them to feel the love that's in my heart for them and try to resolve that outside of those contexts. Very practical, but I think I've saved a lot of relationships by, by hitting the exit ramp on those things uh, and trying to resolve it with any of those methods. I also want to encourage you to give grace to others where they might have a different preference than you. Um, <laughs> for example, I remember uh, at Grace Life, we, we had communion once a month. And I had, early on in the church, I had one family come up to me and say, shouldn't we be doing communion every week? I said, I kind of like that. Uh, you know, our leadership team right now is kind of uh, debating that. Some people feel like once a month is sufficient. You know, I'm, I'm advocating for once a week, but we'll consider that. And then not long after that, I had another family come up to me and say, um, we're sort of offended by the pace of communion. I said, oh, you want to do it once a week? They said, no, we think once a month is too much. In the last church we were in, he taught that because Jesus instituted communion on the Passover, which was once a year, that we should only do communion once a year. I'm like, never heard that before. But now, here we have an opportunity, right? We have the once a weekers and the once a years, and it, when we were practicing once a month. And so I was able to take that and present that context to the body and say, let's show grace to one another in these areas of preference that are not issues of salvation or they're not issues of righteousness. In other words, what you believe about that is not righteousness, righteous or not righteous. It's not sinful if you choose a different view than someone else. The Bible actually gives us liberty of conscience in these areas so that we can love one another around our faith in Christ and not make secondary things primary things. And we were able to have that conversation and it, and it preserved unity in the church even though we had you know, three different views of the, how we ought to practice communion. We gave grace to one another in our preferences, and in that way we loved one another. I want to encourage you to do that with whatever area someone else might have that's a different preference than you. And finally, number three, let's talk about the who. All right, we're doing our three questions here. Who can we reach out to as a result of this message? Remember that text I read in 2 Corinthians. You've been reconciled to God, and because of that, he's made you a minister of reconciliation. Maybe you go, I don't know much about how to share the gospel. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ, you already know way more about the gospel and about God and about salvation than all the unbelievers in the world, all those who don't know Christ or are not yet Christians. So just go share with them what happened in your life. Share with them who Jesus is to you, what he means to you. And you know, look for opportunities to bring uh, the gospel to them in word and in Deed. Let's be ministers of reconciliation because that is one ministry that every single believer has. If we'll allow God to push us out of our comfort zones, open our mouths and reach out to other people. The unity of the saints. Let's remember Christ today and follow him as we go out into the world and let's demonstrate in the way we love one another the beauty of of the salvation that we have received. Thanks for watching today. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.